Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Clear Skies. I'm your host, Chloe, and I'd like to thank you so much for joining me. Now, before we get started, I do want to ask you for a huge favor. If you guys could just stop what you're doing, go to the comment section, and rate, review, and just let people know what you think, I would appreciate it so, so much. And if you leave a five-star review, you will get a shout-out on the podcast, and I will read your review for the masses. So if you could just help us get the podcast out there, help us reach new listeners, I will be eternally grateful. Now, let's get to it. Today, we have some pretty fun constellations. We'll be finishing up the winter circle with the last two, Canis Major and Canis Minor. The brightest star in each of these, along with Betelgeuse and Orion, also completes the winter triangle asterism. Now, Canis Major and Canis Minor, or the lesser and greater dog, are big and easy to find and have a lot of really interesting objects and stars within them. So, per usual, we're going to discuss the general shape of these constellations and how to find them, the specific stars and deep sky objects within their boundaries, and lastly, we will go through the mythology and history of these constellations in various cultures. Again, thank you so, so much for joining me. I seriously appreciate each and every one of you. All right, now let's go to the dog park and talk about some pups. Major and Canis Minor are visible from November through March and are best seen in February. Again, these two finish out our large winter circle asterism, which is defined by the largest and most visible winter constellations. Canis Major is visible from negative 90 to positive 60 degrees latitude and is a medium-sized constellation at the 43rd largest in the sky, so middle of the pack. It contains, <laughs> no pun intended, oh my god, it contains 10 named stars four of which have known exoplanets and contains one neutron star. Canis Minor is a little bit further to the north, visible from negative 75 to positive 90 degrees, and it's one of the smallest constellations at 71st in size, and it has only two named stars. Canis Major is one of the constellations that really does look like its namesake and is easily found using Orion. If you begin at the three bright stars of Orion's belt and draw a line through them going downward, opposite direction of Taurus, you will quickly find yourself at an incredibly bright blue star. This is the brightest star in the night sky, Sirius. This star is historically considered as being in the dog's mouth or his face, but for drawing the constellation, we'll consider it as his neck, where his collar would lie. Now, from Sirius, if you continue this line down, you will find two more fairly bright stars which create the dog's back hip and the tip of his tail. To the east, you will find two stars which create the dog's front and back feet, and to the west of Sirius, you can find a triangle of dim stars which create the dog's head. Now, these dim stars can be hard to find, but I promise once you see the shape, you will see it actually does look like a dog. Now, Sirius Minor is a much simpler constellation. It lies to the west of Canis Major, between Canis Major and Gemini. It is a line of two stars, so my friends and I like to consider it a wiener dog. 
Now, if you would like to see illustrations of how to find these constellations or how the constellations themselves look, you can find those online in our blog at clearskieswithchloe.com, which is also linked below in the show notes. There will also be beautiful photographs of all of the objects and stars discussed, so you don't want to miss it. Now, I also want to note, I've been mentioning the winter circle and how all of these six constellations we've discussed form this circle. So I also, in the first episode, said that you will be able to use this knowledge to show off at parties. So I will quickly tell you how to find all six of these and name them for your friends in case you are that kind of person like I am. So the easiest thing to do is, of course, as always, to start with the belt of Orion. So I normally do this counterclockwise. So you will find the belt of Orion and follow that line upwards to the bright red star of Taurus. Going along that same arch from the eye of Taurus, you will go up and you will find the bright five kind of like um, pentagon shape of Auriga. Going next to Auriga, you will find Gemini and the two bright stars are the heads of the twins. And then between Gemini and Orion, you will find Canis Major and Canis Minor. And once you see it, again, you can't unsee it. And you will easily be able to point out six really cool constellations for all of your friends. So there you go. You can try that this coming winter. <laughs> now in this area, there are quite a few Messier and deep sky objects, but there are also a lot of really interesting stars. So much so that it was difficult to decide which stars and objects to discuss, and I had to pare them down. In the end, I chose five stars and five deep sky objects to talk about this week. So we'll start with the stars in Canis Major, then we'll do those in Canis Minor. Same with the deep sky objects, Canis Major first. Now our first star is Sirius, the blue-white star, which is the brightest in Canis Major, nay, the brightest in the whole darn sky. Most of you probably recognize this star's name from the Harry Potter franchise, where Harry's godfather had the ability to shapeshift into a large, shaggy, black dog. I went my whole childhood pronouncing his name as Cyrus, and even still consider that his name and this star's name as Sirius. <laughs> so anyway, again, this star is right about the dog's throat, but it was traditionally seen as the dog's face or as being held in his jaws. This star is the fifth closest to us at only 8.6 light years away, and it will continue to get closer and brighter for another 60,000 years. It will hold its title of most brilliant for about 210,000 more years. Now, this is actually a binary system with a white dwarf companion, which takes a whole 50 years to complete its elliptical orbit. Sirius Alpha, so the bigger star, is twice the mass of our sun, but it is 25 times brighter. The dwarf star, Sirius Beta, affectionately known as the pup star, is almost the same mass as our own sun, but puts out less than one one hundredth of the energy or the light. This star is only still shining due to how incredibly hot it is, and it's also incredibly dense. Just one teaspoon of this star's material would weigh several tons. So, pretty cool. <laughs> now, the second brightest star in Canis Major is Adhara, which is the 22nd brightest star overall. This star comprises the back leg of the dog. This star is a thousand times brighter than Sirius, and if it were the same distance, it would appear 200 times brighter. In fact, over 4.7 million years ago, 
This star was a lot closer at only 34 light years away, and it was the brightest star in our sky. It was quite a bit brighter than Sirius is today, and no star has ever been brighter since. No star is expected to beat this one's brightness for another 5 million years. While it is not the brightest star in the sky anymore in visible light, it is still one of the brightest UV sources. If we were able to see UV wavelengths, this star would shine quite a lot brighter than Sirius. I'm going to tell you about two other interesting stars in Canis Major as well. The first is VY Canis Majoris, which is a red hypergiant or supergiant, which is among the largest stars ever discovered. It is 3,900 light years away and is simply gigantic. It has 1,700 times the mass of our sun, but 142,000 times the radius. To put this size into perspective, an object traveling the speed of light would take about 14 and a half seconds to travel around our sun, but it would take six hours to travel around this star. This star is half the temperature of our sun, yet it is one of the brightest known stars and puts out 270,000 times the energy. It's pretty young at 8.2 million years old, but due to its size, it is aging very quickly. When it reaches the end of its life, it will explode as a hypernova, an event over a hundred times stronger than a supernova, which is pretty cool. I had never heard of that, so I'm nerding out a little bit. <laughs> the last one in Canis Major we're going to discuss is the neutron star with the great name RX. J0720.4-3125. Try saying that five times fast. This neutron star is part of the Magnificent Seven, a group of young isolated neutron stars which lie quite close at 150 to 500 light years away from us. This star is super dim and its temperature varies wildly for no known reason. Now, neutron stars are the cores of exploded giant stars and are super small and dense. This one is so, so tiny, with a radius of only 3.1 miles or 5 kilometers. So the fact that we can even identify and study something that is 3.1 miles in radius but is 150 plus light years away is just incredible. <laughs> okay, now we're going to go to Canis Minor. And the only one we're going to discuss is Procyon, which is the brightest star in the constellation. Its name comes from the Greek meaning, quote, before the dog, as it rises prior to Sirius when seen from northern latitudes. It is also sometimes referred to as Anticanus, which means the same thing in Latin. Now, this star is the seventh brightest in our sky, and this is due not only to its inherent brightness or energy output, but due to its proximity to us at only 11 and a half light years away. This is actually the 13th closest star system to our sun, and it's also a binary system with a small white dwarf companion. Now, Procyon has several exoplanets, some of which are within the habitable zone, yet it is thought that this system could not support life, both due to the unstable orbits caused by this binary system's gravitational effects but also due to the high proportion of UV light emitted from these stars, which is highly damaging to all known life forms.
In this section of sky, we have several clusters and nebulae. The first one we're going to discuss is Thor's helmet, or the Duck Nebula, which is a visually striking emission nebula. It's 30 light years in size, which is pretty large, and 12,000 light years away. This nebula has formed around a giant star, which is extremely hot and will soon explode as a supernova. We also have NGC 2362, which is a massive open cluster with around the mass of 500 suns, and it has six currently shining stars. This is a pretty young cluster with some nebulosity remaining, so it still has a lot of gas and dust, which could potentially form new stars. While it is hard to see, it is naked eye visible if you look just southeast of Sirius. The third object we're going to discuss is the Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy. This is the closest dwarf galaxy of the Milky Way and is roughly elliptical. It's about 25,000 light years away from Earth, or 42,000 light years away from our galaxy's center, and is thought to be the closest galaxy to us. This galaxy contains around 1 billion stars with a significant number of red giants. Though it is large, it was not discovered until 2003 because it is located along the plane of our galaxy, and therefore from our viewpoint, it is hidden behind gas, dust, and the bright light of all of our stars. Now this galaxy is unusually shaped, and the body is irregular and degraded, and it's thought that this is due to our galaxy's gravitational pull. Several globular clusters are associated with this dwarf galaxy, and they are thought to have once been a part of it, before it started being pulled apart and integrated into our Milky Way galaxy. So they are so close that our galaxy is actually destroying and taking on the mass of this Canis Major dwarf galaxy. Pretty cool. This next object is kind of in theme here because we have two objects which are merging into one. With NGC 2207 and IC 2163, we have a beautiful and terrifying view of our own possible future. These are each spiral galaxies, with IC 2163 being a smaller barred spiral, and the two are slowly colliding. The larger, NGC 2207, is pulling in the stars and dust from the smaller galaxy and absorbing it. This whole situation is really dim, and it's 80 million light years away, yet it was discovered in 1835, which is nuts to me. Now, this event continues to be of great interest, as it may be representative of our fate with the Andromeda Galaxy. The last one we'll discuss is the only one in Canis Minor, and it's the Able 24 Nebula. This is a planetary nebula which is about 1700 light years away. I mention it because it is a uniform bright red color, and it is very striking. It's definitely worth taking a look at the pictures of this one. Now, neither of these constellations have any major meteor showers, but Canis Minor does have a small one. It occurs from December 4th to 15th, but peaks on the 10th and 11th. It was only recently discovered in 1964, and to this day, it has not been determined where exactly these meteors originate. Now, 
These are big and beautiful constellations, so there are certainly a lot of mythical and agricultural associations with them. That being said, I honestly had never heard any of these myths, so this was a really fun one to research. Now, with the exception of the most popular constellations like Orion or the zodiacal constellations, it has been really difficult to find myths outside of the Greek tradition. While I may find a short blurb, a whole story or outline of a different shape or character is sadly rare to come across. I'm working on finding some older books to discuss these histories more in depth, but for now, some episodes will have minimal information outside of Greek mythology. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is one of those episodes. So, like I said last time, if you guys know any good sources or if you personally know any of these histories or myths, reach out to me and let me know because I will be happy to include them and I personally want to know them. Now, while it was noted in several sources that these constellations were significant to the Maori people, the Hindu myths, and the Aboriginal people of Australia, I was not able to find any specifics regarding their legends or practical uses for these stars. But the Greek myths for these are really interesting, and I did find a few others to include. So we're going to start with the Greek myths, and there are two distinct stories here. Now in this first myth, there are a few names that I am probably going to mispronounce, so please forgive me and or let me know if you know the correct pronunciation. So in this first story, the constellation is associated with Laelops, the fastest dog in the world, who is destined to catch anything it pursues. Zeus gave this dog to Europa as a gift, along with a javelin that could not miss. After Europa's death, her husband Cephalus owned the dog and took it with him to Boeotia, a province north of Athens, to hunt down a rambunctious fox that had been causing problems. Like Laelops, the fox was very fast and destined to never be caught. Once the chase began, the race did not seem to have an end in sight. Eventually, it got to the point that Zeus realized that they were doomed to be both the hunter and the hunted for eternity, and decided to end the chase himself and turn both animals to stone. He placed the dog in the night sky as Canis Major. Now, the star Sirius also has its own type of history. Its name means scorching, glowing, or burning in Greek, as it rose just before the sunrise during the hottest days of summer. So Greeks and Romans tended to believe that this star was responsible for the heat, its energy and heat like adding to that of the sun and giving it more power. Now, Canis Minor has a totally separate, still dog-related, and very sad mythology in the Greek tradition. Now, some people say that it's just the second hunting dog of Orion, which is fine. But the more interesting story is that of Mira, the dog of an unlucky winemaker, Icarius, who was killed by his friends who had never tried wine before. When Icarius was like, hey guys, try this cool drink I made, they became drunk and thought that Icarius had attempted to poison them. So they killed him. Mera, the dog, found his body and ran to Icarius' daughter. Both the daughter and the dog were overcome with grief and they took their own lives. Zeus later placed them both in the sky. With this myth, the daughter is represented by Virgo, Icarius by Buotes the herdsman, and Mera by Canis Minor. 
In honor of this tragedy, the people of Athens instituted an annual celebration in honor of Icarius and his daughter. In yet a totally another version, Canis Minor is actually the Tumusian fox who Laelaps was trying to catch. Now in, let's see, all right, now in other cultures, we have a few interesting things. In Egypt, Sirius would rise with the sun just before the annual flooding period and summer solstice, so it played a crucial role in the agricultural calendar. As it rose around June 25th in 3000 BC, the Egyptians concluded it brought about the much-needed floods. This star is referred to on many temple walls as Sothis, or, quote, mistress of the year. Uh-huh. Some temples were even oriented toward where this star would rise. As it rose earlier and earlier every morning, it was felt that it was calling up the waters and letting them loose across the plains. As for Canis Minor, they associated that constellation with Anubis, the jackal god. The first known acknowledgement of Canis Minor was in ancient Mesopotamia, where the stars Procyon and Gomesa were referred to as the twins in the three stars each tablet from around 1100 BC. Later on in Babylonian mythology, Canis Minor was associated with the deities Lulal and Laturok, and Sirius was seen as an arrow pointing towards Orion with some stars of Canis Minor and Puppis together creating a bow. The ancient Romans considered Canis Minor as a second dog helping Orion in his battle with Taurus. Chinese astronomers knew Sirius as, quote, celestial wolf, or simply wolf, and was said to symbolize invasion and plunder. In Hindu writings, Sirius is referred to as Sukra, or the rain star, or rain god, which I'm assuming is associated with the times that it would rise or fall in the night sky and their agricultural calendar, but I wasn't able to find many details. Also, in Chinese astronomy, two very faint stars in Canis Minor, combined with Castor and Pollux of Gemini, were seen as two rivers or as two centuries or gates as they lie on each side of the ecliptic. So that one is kind of cool. I would like to know more about that for sure. Well, guys, that is all that I have for you today. So I truly hope that you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please share it with everyone that you know, and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you're currently using, as that helps us to reach new listeners. So also please subscribe so you get every episode directly to your feed. All of our sources, photographs, and maps are located on this episode's page at clearskieswithchloe.com. You can also reach out to me directly on Instagram at clearskieswithchloe. That is Chloe with a C, C C-H-L-O-E. I would love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, opinions, questions, corrections, anecdotes, anything that you would like to share with me, I would like to hear. So next episode, we will be doing our first like astronomy topic that is not a constellation. So if you've ever been curious about stars, how they form and how they die, you will want to tune in to the next episode. If you have any suggestions on topics you would definitely like to hear, please let me know. But that is all. I will see you guys next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'm wishing you clear skies ahead.
Clear Sky was written and edited by me, Chloe, but it is also quality and fact-checked by fellow astronomer and my best friend Skylar Self and by professional nerd Robbie Hunt.